0: 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? WHERE IS THE SCHOLAR? WHERE IS THE PHILOSOPHER OF THIS AGE? HAS NOT GOD MADE FOOLISH THE WISDOM OF THE WORLD? FOR SINCE, IN THE WISDOM OF GOD, THE WORLD THROUGH ITS WISDOM DID NOT KNOW HIM, GOD WAS PLEASED THROUGH THE FOOLISHNESS OF WHAT WAS PREACHED TO SAVE THOSE WHO BELIEVE. JEWS DEMAND MIRACULOUS SIGNS, AND GREEKS LOOK FOR WISDOM, BUT WE PREACH CHRIST CRUCIFIED, A STUMBLING BLOCK TO JEWS AND FOOLISHNESS TO GENTILES but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Jim Morris was 35 years old, a high school teacher living in Big Lake, Texas when he was asked to take over running the high school baseball team. And it was quite a challenge. See, the team had a losing record. They had lost the last three seasons. They had lost only won three games each season. So it was a pretty dismal prospect when Jim Morris showed up at practice. And during preseason, he was continually discouraged by the whining and complaining of the baseball team. They didn't have any hope or confidence in themselves. And so Jim challenged them. He brought them together in a big pep rally and said, uh, challenged them to reach for their dreams, to somehow find a way to make it to the state tournament. Well, what surprised Jim Morris was they challenged him back. You see, they knew that Jim at one time had been a minor league uh, prospect. He had been drafted in the 18th round for the New York Yankees over 17 years ago when he was a young, uh, young man. But he'd only gone into the minor leagues. He'd never been able to realize his dream to play in the majors. And so the team made a deal with Jim Morris. If we get to the state tournament, we want you to try out for the major leagues. Jim, the 35-year-old washed-up baseball player, thought that was the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard. But he decided to do it just as a way to shut him up because he knew they'd never make the state baseball uh, tournament. Well, lo and behold, they did make the state baseball tournament. And it was time for Jim to prove on his promise. And so he showed up to the uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay Devil Rays was hosting a uh, you know kind of a tryout walk on and Jim showed up 35 years old with his three kids in tow and he basically went up to the scout and he said look I'm just here to you know settle a bet with my high school team can I throw a couple pitches at the end just so I can say I've I've done it and the guy said sure no problem well Jim gets out there and without any warm-up throws a 94 mile an hour fastball and then proceeds for the next 12 pitches to consistently throw at 98 miles an hour Now, there's only a handful of pitchers in the major league that can throw consistently in the upper 90s. And just about no one after the age of 30, it just drops off dramatically. And here's Jim Morris throwing 98 mile an hour fastballs. The Tampa Bay Devil Rays, they couldn't believe it. Brought him out a couple days later, and in the pouring rain, he threw 95 miles an hour consistently. And so went the story of Jim Morris. They called him into the minor leagues. And sure enough, he was called up to the major leagues as a closer and uh, he realized his dream of being a Major League Baseball player, the oldest rookie in three decades. His story was captured in the movie The Rookie. Anyone see it with Dennis Quaid? It's a great story. You know, I love stories like that. I don't know if you do, but I love stories like that. You know, those feel-good stories about the guy that comes from behind. He somehow finds a way to realize his dream. I was a washed-up tennis player uh, now, used to play college, sit the, sit the bench, and I think to myself, wow, wouldn't it be great if I just somehow magically picked up my tennis racket and I went out there and I started playing and all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm in the Australian Open playing with Roger Federer. And then I go out and I hit some tennis balls. I remember, I'm exactly in the place where I need to be. Don't give up the day job, Rodriguez. But I think we're fascinated with this story because we hope that we can change. We hope that we can change for the better, not just physically, but our character. You know, we hope that we keep getting better as people as time goes on. I hope in 10 years I'm gonna be a different person than I am because the reality is life is difficult, isn't it? We need to change. As I look at the difficulties that face me as a father, how how do I meet the challenges of parenting my children? I need to become better than I am. How do I meet the challenges of being uh, the husband that I'm supposed to be, that I know I'm supposed to be, that my wife needs? I need to change for the better. How do I pastor this congregation, the needs of the congregation as we continue to grow? I need to become better than I am. The question is, how do we change? You may know the challenge is hard. You have a goal. I want to lose weight. I want to get back in shape. And so we have this goal and we start working on it, but next thing we know, time goes by and nothing's changed. We're still the same person. Maybe I want to stop yelling at my kids. I want to be a better dad. I want to stop being so frustrated and anxious with them. How do I change into that type of person? I want to stop being anxious. Some of us, we struggle with anxiety. You know, it's always there running. How do I move out of that? How do I become the person that God wants me to be? We look at the Bible, and the Bible is all about change, isn't it? In the Bible, we see the stories of natural people living supernatural lives. And we see that, and we say, I want that. How do I do that? How do I do that? You know, could, if there was just some sort of magic potion I could drink. Remember Alice in Wonderland? Drink me. And we could change and be transformed into the person that we hoped that we would one day become. Well, the answer, the truth is that there is the possibility of change, that we can change as people. But this potion here, it's not a principle. It's not a perspective or a philosophy, a practice of doing something different. The potion is a person. Jesus Christ has the power, and he is the one that calls us to a supernatural life. But in order to live a supernatural life, We must first live our lives through the supernatural Christ. That's what we're going to be talking about today. In order to live a supernatural life, we must live our natural lives through the supernatural Christ. In this passage, we see three gates that we must walk through in order to live the supernatural life. The first is the gate of pride. We must walk through this gate of pride. We must recognize that we are not supernatural. Then secondly, we must walk through the gate of grace. We must realize that God is the one who is supernatural. And then finally, we must walk through the gate of Christ, where we learn to live dependently on him day by day, moment by moment. So let's walk through these gates. Number one, the gate of pride. We see here that Paul is, reading, uh, is writing to the Corinthian church, a church just like us. Who are these Corinthians? They lived in the city, the resort city of Corinth, which was right on the beach. Uh, It was a very cosmopolitan city. It had great learning, great beauty. Everyone was fascinated with looking the part and being the part and knowing everybody and knowing everything. Sounds kind of similar to Virginia Beach, doesn't it? And so the Corinthian church was a city, was a church in a very worldly city. And these Corinthians, they prided themselves on being super spiritual. They had it all together. They knew all 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 the correct things to say, all the correct things to believe. But they were also torn by this concept of living in this beautiful place called Corinth. And so the church was kind of like a church of what I would call Sunday Christians kind of show up, bring the Bible, hear the teaching, and then go off into the world and sort of live as the world lives, adopting the philosophy of the world. Christianity was kind of like a portfolio, you know, a piece that they had in their portfolio of living this wise life. The problem was the church was a mess. There was infighting and backbiting in the church. They were were living a worldly life. There was lots of sin in the church. The truth of the matter was the Corinthian church looked exactly like the city in which they lived. And it bothered them. Something was wrong. And so they came to Paul and said, how do we live the supernatural life? Well, this is how Paul started off. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now let's talk a little bit about the message of the cross. What was the message of the cross back then? The cross was invented by the Roman Empire. Keep in mind, Rome had conquered all of these different principalities and countries, and Rome needed to keep control of everybody. And so they needed to send a message, when you got out of line with the Roman Empire, we were going to make you pay. And so they created crucifixion, the cross. It was, reser- it was such a bad punishment that if you were a Roman citizen, one of the privileges would be you would never be crucified because it was designed to humiliate you and shame you. In fact, there was a new word invented that suffering on the cross was so painful they had to create a new word to describe being on the cross, excruciating, out of the cross. It was an instrument of shame. And yet Paul is saying the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, the cross became a symbol of victory for Christians. Think about it. Many of us right now are maybe wearing a cross We're walking around with a cross. It would be the equivalent in this day and age of taking a miniature replica of an electric chair and walking around with it around our neck. Okay, not doing a lot of that. But that's exactly what the message of the cross was. It was a message of humiliation and shame. And yet, to Christians, it was a message of victory. Why? Because it was a symbol of the obedience of Christ. That Christ uh, endured the cross, scorned and shame. That he was so obedient to the will of the Father in the place of a disobedient people that he was willing to go to the cross, to the excruciating pain of the cross, and to die because of his willingness to surrender his will to that of God. And because of the cross was the resurrection that in his obedience, in his shame, brought life. That was the message of victory. And it made zero sense to the Corinthians. See, the Corinthian city, the wise men, they said, wait a second, greatness doesn't involve submission to God, It involves exaltation above men. The way to go up is not down. The point is to go up. To acquire as much as you can, as much relationships, as much wisdom, as much knowledge. To learn as much as God, you can become God. But Paul says, no, 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 no. The wisdom that you acquire, if it's independent of God, cannot bring a life change. Can't can't change you. Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And you know, history has proven to us that education is not enough. Most educated country in the world in the 1930s, highest literacy rate, Nazi Germany. Education is not enough. In 1636, Harvard University was founded. Harvard University was founded, and this was the mission, this was part of the mission statement of Harvard University. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. In fact, this whole concept of a university, where does that word university come from? Una veritas, one truth that all of life was to be subsumed under one truth, that God reigns and Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, when you would go to the university, back in the day, you would take all of these various classes and then at the end of your, before you could matriculate, you would take a class with the president of the college who would bring all of these fields of learning into one coherent Christian philosophy and help you to understand the universitas that Jesus Christ is Lord. You ever wonder right now in a university, you notice that all of the professors have PhDs, doctor of philosophy. Why does a chemistry major have a PhD, a doctorate of philosophy? That's a holdover back from the day, each of the people, whether a chemist, or an economist, or an architect, were all to subsume their field of learning under the universitas that Jesus Christ is Lord everything to be subsumed, but what happens when you take Christ out of that picture? In Harvard University, the learning became stronger and stronger, and Christ became less and less, and all of a sudden it became a multi-university, that there was much knowledge but not a whole lot of wisdom. In fact, right now, if I was to walk on the campus at Harvard or Yale or you name it, the University of Virginia, and ask the question to the professors, why do I exist? I would come up with a lot of blank stares. We don't exactly know the answer to that question. The une veritas has been lost. I recently had to go to a meeting at the Virginia Beach Resort Hotel and Conference Center. And the meeting was on the ninth floor. I don't know, this is the uh, hotel which is right there at the end of Shore Drive, uh, excuse me, where uh, Shore meets Great Neck Road. There's that hotel right there. I needed to go to a meeting. And it was in the boardroom. Boardroom's on the ninth floor of the hotel, if I believe uh, that's right, either ninth or tenth. So I went into the lobby. I took the elevator, started going up. It only went to the eighth floor. I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a second. I got to get to the... So I went all the way back down. And I said, I need to get to the ninth floor, but the elevator only goes to the eighth floor. She said, oh, yeah, you can't get to that room from here. You've got to go up to the eighth floor and you've got to walk all the way across the long hallway and you've got to get in another elevator because that's the only elevator that goes up to the ninth floor. See, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying you can't ascend to life change on the elevator of the wisdom of man. In fact, if you go into that elevator and you push the button to go up to the ninth floor, you'll actually go down, not up. Not up. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. How are you seeking to change, my friends? How do you seek to change to become the person that you know that you need to be? Are you like the Corinthians? If I can just acquire more knowledge. Sure, I'll come on Sunday. It's part of what I'm doing. But the rest of the week, it's just a, a, a piece in the portfolio of the assets that I have to become the person that I need to be. In order to change, we too must adopt the message of the, Christ, of the, of the cross. Because true wisdom can only be found in submission and obedience to God. We too must live under the univeritas, the one truth. We must be able to say these words which mankind hates so much, I don't know. But you know God, and so I will submit myself to your life. We must acknowledge his lordship not only on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. When we go into our work, when we go to school, when we parent our kids, we must acknowledge that we don't have the answers, and we need God to provide the answers. We must think differently. Anyone see the recent uh, news concerning the discovery of these new planets, the Kepler telescope? It was recently in the news they discovered this whole new solar system. NASA sent out a a telescope called the the Kepler telescope, named for Johann Kepler, who was a great astronomer, and they discovered this new solar system that looks very much like the Earth's solar system off somewhere else. It's Very interesting, this guy Johann Kepler, a brilliant astronomer in the 1600s. Brilliant learning. And yet, he was a Christian and he understood Univeritas. And as Kepler was discovering things, what he said, what he would write in his journal, was that he was thinking God's thoughts after him. He subsumed his thinking to the greatness of God, and as a result, he found true wisdom. Do you know the truths of God? Do you know the thoughts of God? Thank goodness he hasn't left us alone. He have, he's given us revelation of what he thinks and who he is. And so we must study the univeritas Monday through Saturday. We must have an attitude of humility and dependence on God. So this is my first point. We must not adopt the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of God. In order to live a supernatural life, we must live our natural life through the supernatural Christ. Well, Paul takes them from the gateway of pride and he takes them to the gate of grace. Because Paul turns and he says to the Corinthians, remember your own history. Look in verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Think about your past, Corinthians. Think of what you were when you were called. Now, isn't that an interesting word to use? Think of you when you were called. Who did the calling? Was it the Corinthians with their brilliant wisdom that figured out who God was? Was it because of their great philosophy? Was it because of their lineage, their genealogy? No. They were called by God who brought them. Because the truth of the matter is, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, God called the Corinthians and God called us to be his people not because we had it all together, but precisely because we didn't. Why? Because God would get the glory. And there would be no question as to who, why we were receiving our blessings. Not on the merits of ourselves, but rather on God. I don't know if I'm going to take you back to, uh, in, in history. Think in recess when you were a kid. Okay? I don't know about you, but in recess when I was a kid, we'd all play kickball. Okay? Remember kickball? It's time to play kickball. We want to play kickball. So what would you do? A couple of guys would self-appoint themselves as captains. Okay? They were the guys who could play. Okay, and then the picking would start. And how did the picking go of being on one of those guys' kickball teams? They would pick the best first, wouldn't they? we got to find the best guy. We're going to pick him. He's going to come first because I need him for my team. And then it would go back and forth, back and forth, all the way down the line. For many of us, that was a very humiliating time because we may have not been a great athlete. And then finally you would get to the very end where there would be some people that wouldn't even get picked. Now think about it this way. What we're hearing from this passage is I would be picking on one team and God would be picking on the other. So I'd do the common thing that you needed to. I'd go ahead and pick that person because he was the best. And what would God do? He'd pick the worst. He'd pick the worst of the worst of the worst. And I'd be scratching my head going, what are you doing? You should pick this guy. He's the best. But God's saying, no, I want that guy who's the worst. What's that communicating? God is saying, I don't need the best. I am the best. I'm picking the worst because I want you to understand that I am the best, and I can give my grace to whoever I want. See, that's the gospel. That's the message of Christ. Why? So God gives the glory. You know, many of us struggle with our relationship with God. We're like that person at the end of the line in the kickball tournament. Why does God love me? What do I have to give to God? See, we all have this game. I actually want to illustrate this. The gospel is quite simple. Three statements. Number one, to understand the gospel, you only need to understand three things. Number one, we lost it All. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher? Where is the person that has it all together? The Bible says, I know of not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same boat. We're all last. We lost it all. And so we have no merit, no standing before God. But the beauty of the gospel is in Jesus Christ, he gave it all. God's Son, Jesus Christ, gave all. He gave all. Everything that was needed in His life, He gave for what we didn't have. The perfect replacing of what was negative with what was positive. What's the result of that? We get it all. All of the merits that we didn't have in ourselves, we gain. In the person of Jesus Christ why because of ourselves no because of him but here's the little game that we play because for many of us we can say that but here's what we really believe we didn't lose it all we lost a lot there's still a little bit in us though still a little bit of goodness little bit left in us that's still there that wasn't corrupted. We still have something to bring to the table, maybe just a little bit, maybe a 1%, but we can bring it to the table. And as a result because we lost a lot, Christ didn't give it all. He gave a lot. Gave a lot on that cross. He gave a lot, but you know what? Because we didn't lose a lot, he didn't need all he didn't need to give it all. As a result, we get a lot. Christ gives 90%, but we've got to give 10%. You see, we get on this performance trap. Yeah, God saved you, absolutely. But you know what? It's your turn now. You've got to get on board. You've got to do the things you need to. You've got to do your Bible study. You've got to do your prayer. You've got to do your good works. We get on this performance trap around and around and around. And we never experienced the riches of the grace because of the truth that we lost everything. The gate of grace tells us that Christ is all that we need. He is our sufficiency. He gives us the ability to live the life that we wanted. Why, because we have the strength in ourselves? No, because he has the strength. I want you to understand that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's love. And there's nothing you can do to become the person that you were meant to be. God gave it all. And because he did, we get it all. So if we the first gate was trusting in the world, the second gate is we need to stop trusting in ourselves. Believe the gospel. Throw yourself on the grace of Christ stop trying to earn God's favor start living in God's blessing I saw a movie uh, last night the social network anybody seen it Mark uh, Zuckerberg uh, is that his name how you say it Zuckerberg Okay, brilliant guy Harvard you know eccentric kid he creates Facebook you know the things like a rocket ship before you know it, the guys worth billions of dollars crazy number billions of dollars you know, I thought about that. Okay, how did Mark win those billion, get those billions? It's because of his brilliance. I mean, brilliant idea. Facebook, how many people are on Facebook? The truth of the matter, though, is we're billionaires. Not because of what we have done, but rather because of who our Mark Zuckerberg has done. It is Christ who has given us a bank account that is unlimited. And so we must draw upon it and not ours. When we're in our marriage and we're struggling, we don't have the answers. We don't have any place to draw upon. But Christ gives us His grace, the power to live a different life. Why? Because He gave it all. We get it all. When we're struggling in our work, how do I become the person I'm supposed to? How do I put out the work? How do I live graciously even in a place that I don't enjoy? If we draw upon our own strength, our account is bankrupt. But if we draw upon Christ... His account is limitless. In order to live a supernatural life, we must live our natural life through the supernatural Christ. That brings me to my final point because I want to talk about specifically how do we draw upon this account? Yeah, this is all great, Carlos. I get it. But that bank account feels there and I'm here and I have no idea how to make a withdrawal. Paul tells us in verse 30, it is because of God... That you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. We have received a new power in our calling, and the power is a person. All that we could not do in ourselves becomes possible in Christ Jesus, because we are in Christ and He is in us. The scriptures tell us three things that He has become for us our redemption. That's the language of the marketplace. If, you were, if someone back in Corinth had heard this, they would have thought of the marketplace where slaves were sold. And in order to buy a slave and make them yours, you are going to redeem them. That Christ has redeemed us. Also, we see that we have become in him our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. That's the language of the law court. Christ has become for us our righteousness. The righteousness that we didn't have, he becomes for us. And then that's the language of the law court. But the third word is the word I want to focus on. That it it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us our holiness. Holiness. That's a profoundly ethical word. Holiness. Think of what it is that conjures up in your head when you think of holiness. It would actually be the same word as sainthood. Christ has become for us our sainthood. He's talking about how we live, how we act, how we treat one another, how we treat ourselves, how we treat God. Christ has become our holiness. Because we have been united with Christ, his character becomes mine. His love becomes mine. His faithfulness becomes mine. His care becomes mine. See, the purpose of our life is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the way that we do that is Christ himself living in us. He became for us what we could not. I remember four years ago I wanted to run the rock and roll half marathon. I was in training for another marathon and I was in great shape. I wanted to run. There was only one problem. I didn't have a ticket. But a friend of mine, Doug Wiles, had a ticket and he was injured. And so I called him up, hey, Doug, I really want to run. It's sold out. Is there any way I could run uh, you know, and take your ticket? And he said, sure, I'm not using it. I'm hurt. There's no way I could do it. And so I, t- I took his ticket. I went out. Now, Doug was you know, decent marathon. He, you, you, I don't know that he ever ran under two hours, the half marathon under two hours, good time. I was in great shape. I went out. I ran the half marathon in an hour and 35 minutes. So I was in really good shape at the time. Well, lo and behold. You know, next, uh, next day, everyone goes to the newspaper because they want to see how everybody did in their friends. And lo and behold, there's Doug Wiles, one hour, 35 minutes. Doug Wiles starts getting phone calls from all of his buddies. Doug, that's amazing. I can't believe it. I mean, you must have really just been in tremendous shape. You know, for a while, Doug's like, well, you know, you just, you do your best. You go out there and, you know... Sooner or later, he had to fess up. It wasn't me. It was my buddy. I couldn't have done it. He was running with my number. See, that's what it's all about, isn't it? See, we're, we're running this race of life, but we can't get under two hours. Heck, we can't get under six hours. Okay, but Christ is like one of those Kenyan guys, you know? He's done in like 50 minutes. Okay, he has the power to live the life that we cannot. So how do we take advantage of of this power. You know, do you want to stop yelling at your kids? You can't. But he can. And he's in you, and you are in him. Do you want to change how you eat? Do you want to stop some of these habits? You can't. But he can. And he's in you, and you are in him. Do you want to stop living that anxious life? We can't. But he can. And he's in us, and we're in him so here's how we take advantage of this power of Christ it's in verse 31 therefore let him who boasts boast in the Lord this is my concluding thought my friends where is your confidence is it in the world is it in yourself or is it in Christ this Christian life is a process us learning to be helpless again you know isn't interesting as a baby physiologically we learn to be independent But as Christians, we have to learn again and again to be dependent from Christ who has become our holiness. Stop battling, stop fighting, start trusting. Look to Christ to run the race you could never run. Is there a way I can change? Yes, his name is Jesus. Walk through the gate of pride. Walk through the gate of the gospel and walk through the gate of Christ. Therefore, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.